if you took the average document of what's called antiquity, so ancient literature, if you took the average one, most of them have probably 10 to 20 manuscripts or copies of those documents. The New Testament alone has 5,700. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if we're, if we're really going to be hypercritical about how we got the Bible, then if we took that same hypercriticism to any other document in history, you would find yourself doubting a lot about what you knew about history. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Kerrigan Santos. Pleasure, friend, to have you stop by. Today, we are joined with Pastor Ryan Abone. Great to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ryan is a young adults director at Mission Church in Memphis. How long have you been a director? So I have been in that role for about two years. Two yeah. years. That's great. Did you always feel like you wanted to be a pastor? No. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I um, did not. My uh, family grew up kind of going to church on Easter and Christmas. We were kind of those, that family. Yeah, I just, you know, I went to preschool at a church, but I did not really grow up in church culture. You know, I didn't go to like camps and stuff like that. It wasn't until uh, my junior year of college when a pastor at Mission, formerly High Point, um, actually shared the gospel with me. Mm. I got to know him, took me to lunch, and I started getting plugged in. And so that was really the first time I had really gone consistently to church. And then a couple of older guys in the church really poured into me and discipled me. So it really wasn't until late college that I really understood the gospel for the first time. Well, that's awesome. I think that's great. Yeah. It's never too late, you know? <laughs> so that's that's really cool. Yeah. Well, today's episode will be a little different as we delve into common and challenging questions that I believe many Christians, including ourselves, have contemplated at some point. Our main topic will be on biblical objective truth today, meaning the contents in the Bible is accurate and true throughout, right? Cover to cover, it is objectively true, such as the sky is blue, five plus five five equals 10. Dessert is absolutely a necessary part of dinner. You know, just <laughs> objective truths, right? <laughs> Talking on that today, is the Bible inerrant or infallible? And how can we know this? Well, first, I think it's important for people that maybe haven't thought about this topic, why it's important for Christians to talk about. First, it's I think it comes down to the fundamental question, do we believe God has revealed himself do we believe that he has spoken in history? Um, that's what revelation is, is God speaking. And so if we do believe that, first of all, Jesus said in John 10, 35, that the scripture cannot be broken. He was talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And then talking to his apostles in John 14, he said that once he was gone, he would send them the Holy Spirit. And he calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. And he says the spirit of truth will bring to remembrance all that he has taught them and said to them. Fundamentally, we we should care about this doctrine because Jesus thought <laughs> the, the word of God was inerrant. <laughs> was so, important, right? Yeah. So if Jesus thought that, we should think that's really important too. But then secondly, I would say it's important because how do we follow Jesus faithfully without believing and trusting in his word? And I would say we can't because if you think about in the garden, the first lie from Satan, from, from the serpent was, did God really say that? Yeah. To Eve, <laughs> right? Yeah. So from the beginning, Satan has been twisting God's word. In Matthew 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan, he changes God's word and tries to tempt him that way. And so mm -hmm. Satan knows God's word. Like, I think Christians forget that. He knows it. He just doesn't treasure it or enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and so if he knows God's word and he is seeking to kill and destroy and deceive Christians, then we have to know God's word in order to follow Jesus faithfully and not be deceived. And so, yeah, this is why this is a really important 
topic, I think. Yeah, and I think it is important to understand when you're talking about objective truth when it comes to the Bible is that means that there is no material errors or internal contradictions, right? Because you have the New Testament, you have the Old Testament, and a lot of people will read both of them and think that they're very different or they do contradict themselves, if that makes sense. And I think it's important to remember that in 2 Timothy 3.18, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And kind of what you were saying before is if you're going to be a Christian who's someone who follows the book, if it is with error or if there is a mistake or if it's not inspired by God, there almost is no point in following it. So it is really important for us to really study the word and find that out for ourselves as well. You know, hey, if I feel like this is a contradiction, study it. Right. You know, you should. You should do that. You should make sure that there is no mistakes here. And yeah. I find, at least every time I do it, that I'm wrong in some way, sense, or form. It <laughs> yeah. was me. It wasn't the book. Yeah. It's shocking that um, oftentimes when I have a question about the Bible, I'll look it up and I'm like, oh, I'm not the first person that's thought about this in the last yeah. 2,000 years. Yeah. Um, you get yes.com and it's like eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, or just like that, you know, there's 2,000 years of church history that people have thought about these pretty much anything you can think of under the sun when it comes to the Bible. So mm. yeah, if you have a question about it, um, just know you're not the first person to ask <laughs> about that. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think you can safe to say, but I think it's important to define inerrancy and infallibility. So inerrant just means without error. Infallible is a little bit stronger, but it basically it means incapable of having error. So it's a little bit of a stronger term. And obviously we both mean this, we mean the same thing in, in terms of both are good when describing the Bible. The Bible is without error because it's God's truth. Um, but then it's also because God is true and there's no deceit in him, it's incapable of having yeah. error, right? So it's actually infallibility is a stronger term. If we believe that God has inspired supernaturally the human authors that he used to divinely inspire them revelation that they did not have within themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that they, when he inspired them, it takes out their human personality, right? So Paul has his own personality. Peter has his own personality. There's sort of two levels of intended meaning when you talk about what the Bible means. So there's the human author's intention. What did he mean by this? But then there's the divine author's intention. What did God, what did the Holy Spirit mean in inspiring this human author to write it? So there's sort of two levels of meaning there. But what we mean is, is we believe that the 39 books of the Old Testament that were written in the Hebrew mostly, and then some in Arabic, And then the New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament canon that were written in Koine Greek, those, and we would call the original autographs, we Mm -hmm. believe those were inspired by God. Um, So yeah, a lot of people get tripped up by that. But what I've found is a lot of people who are super hypercritical of textual criticism of that field of study that shows how we got the Bible, if they took that criticism (laughs) to any other document in history, Mm -hmm. um, they really wouldn't, they would be surprised at how little they could trust. Because when, in terms of the evidence of why the Bible is so trustworthy, I would say the Bible is the most reliable set of documents in history. Yeah. So just a a fact, this is a historical fact, from the same time period that the New Testament was written, if you took the average document of what's called antiquity, so ancient literature, Mm. if you took the average one, uh, most of them have probably 10 to 20 manuscripts or copies of those documents. Yeah. The Bible has, uh, the New Testament alone has 5,700. 
<laughs> so, yeah. so it's like, you know, if we're, if we're really going to be hypercritical about that, how we got the Bible, then if we took that same hypercriticism to any other document in history, you would find yourself doubting a lot about what you knew about history. But because those documents of history don't have the same claims of the Bible, they're not taken that way. And speaking on the Bible, do you feel like there are any biblical examples or teachings that could illustrate the importance of objective truth and the exclusivity of Jesus as the only way to heaven? Where in the Bible does it say, you know, Jesus is really the only way? Yeah, well, he says it outright in John 14, 6. <laughs> he says, yeah. <laughs> uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I think what's interesting about this topic is oftentimes people who either say like, well, all religions basically say the same thing, mm. or all religions say the same thing about Jesus or whatever. The people who say that really have just not read the Bible. Yeah. Um, because if they actually opened it and just read through the four Gospels and just looked at what Jesus said, they would see that he says stuff that no other religious founder said. And it's just a fact that no other religious founder claimed to be God in the flesh. Yeah. They all said that I'm a way, um, I'm a prophet, I'm not the only way. Now, I'm not saying that other religions don't think their way is right. I'm just saying no one religious founder said that I am the authority on this. Yeah, that direct claim. The direct revelation from God. They yeah. just said that I'm a prophet of many prophets. Jesus is the only one that said no. I'm the only way, the only truth, and the only life. So last week, we actually did a topic for our young adults on, is Jesus the only way to heaven? And so I just took a bunch of quotations from the Gospels, and this isn't even all of them, but I'll just read a couple of them. So in Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, Mark says, And Jesus uh, saw their faith. He said to the paralytics, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes who were sitting there questioning in their hearts said, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, so that's an example of Jesus going around saying, your sins are forgiven. Mm. Well, the, o the only way that can be true is if he thinks those sins are against him and only God can forgive sins, right? If somebody in here came in and, you know, hit you in the face, right? And then mm. I said to you, I forgive you. <laughs> like, you couldn't do that. Like, you <laughs> would have to, it's between you guys, right? Like, right. the conflict is between y'all. I can't say that one of y'all is forgiven. So the only way that Jesus can say your sins are forgiven is if all sin is against him, right? So that's a, a claim of authority there. So that's just one example. So, and we don't have time to read all of them, but I gave 12 claims of what Jesus claims just from all these quotes. So number one, he says the, he claims the authority to forgive sin. Number two, he claimed to be the son of David, who is the Messiah, and he claimed to be David's Lord. Number three, he claimed to come from heaven in John 6. <laughs> he said, I'm the bread of life that's come down from heaven. Number four, he claimed to judge the whole world at the end of time. Number five, he said he is one with his father. I and the father are one. Number six, this is probably the most crazy one. In John 8, he claims the name of I am. Mm -hmm. He says before Abraham was I am, which is is the name of God from Exodus 3.14 that God gives to Moses. Number seven, he said he is the owner of life and death because he said, I'm the resurrection of life in John 11. Number eight, he says, unless you believe in him, you will die in your sins. Number nine, he says the whole Bible is about him when he says all the scriptures are concerning him. And then number 10, he accepted worship after his resurrection from Thomas as my Lord and my God. Uh, number 11, he's the only way, the truth, and the life, John 14.6. Number 12, turn away from your life of sin and self-salvation and believe in him alone. So those are just claims that 
Jesus made in which no other religious founder made. So either he, it's that C.S. Lewis, uh, liar, lunatic Lord, either he is who he said he is, which is the Lord, or he is the craziest person who's ever lived, or he is the most deceptive person that's ever lived. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the mistake that people make is they try to put Jesus just as one of many options. And it's like, no, he's either of most importance or he's of no importance. Yeah. Like he can't be in the middle. I think that's what he said. He's like, people claim that he's a good teacher. Right. And he's like, how can he be? Yeah. He's either, right. like you were saying, he's either Lord. C.S. Lewis, you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, he's right. either Lord or lunatic, but he's not a good teacher. That's right. You can't put him in the same category as everybody else because he's claiming to be something completely different. Yeah, his claims were too great. Well, speaking on more of that and, and Jesus and just the importance of really the Bible and studying it. We want to talk more on the guidance and uh, maybe some biblical insight in helping Christians on how to be more effective in communicating with truth and the idea of Jesus. What would be the tip to help Christians when they're dealing with religious pluralism and the belief that our religions lead to God? How can we communicate that to other believers or maybe people of no faith at all? Yeah. So I think actually a good place to start with be when we talk about religion, I think a lot of like if you ask the average person on the street, what do you think your religion is? Yeah. They would say it's a set of beliefs that sort of align you with a, a supernatural power or a, a deity, which is partially true. But the other piece of it is what what a religion really is. It's an answer to the big questions. Why are we here? What's the purpose of life? Where is this all going? Um, what do we do while we're here? That's really what religions try to answer. And so if you think about religion in that sense, everybody has a religion because everybody has answers to those questions, whether they realize it or not. What people do now in our secular society is they separate faith and reason mm -hmm. as, well, people who are religious have this sort of blind faith at you know the spaghetti monster in the sky. And then everybody else is based on science and reason. And they're the ones with truth. They know the things that can be because they do it through evidence. The problem with that is you can't see morality under a microscope. You can't measure being what being a good person is like you can measure the boiling point of water, right? right? right. Like those are spiritual questions. Those are religious questions. And so even if you are somebody who's quote scientific, science is an amazing gift from God, but it only allows you to observe the natural world. It doesn't have answers for spiritual questions. And so everybody's religious in that sense. And then secondly, I would say everybody has exclusive truth claims. What a lot of people say is, well, Christians are, are so narrow-minded because they claim that they have the only way to heaven. Number one, every other religion thinks they're right too. You're right. <laughs> um, and then number two, atheists also have exclusive truth claims. They just don't have the consequences that religious people do. Mm -hmm. Like they don't believe in a heaven or hell. They don't believe in anything after this. But also too, even the religious pluralist who says all religions are equal, that itself is an exclusive claim. Right. Right? So I'll give you an illustration that I love, and people at my church, are the, they hear me say it all the time. There was a missionary named Leslie Newbegin who used to hear this illustration of the blind man and the elephant. And the religious pluralists would tell him this all the time. This was what they thought religion was like. Mm. So if you have a blind man, three blind men go in and they, and they touch an elephant and they describe it. One grabs the leg and says it's round. Uh, so they're like, oh, the elephant's round. One grabs the side and says, no, it's long and smooth. And then one grabs 
has the tusk and is like, no, it's like a spear, (laughs) right? So they're all describing parts of the elephant, but nobody has the whole elephant. Mm -hmm. And so what religious pluralists say is, well, that's like what religion is. Everybody has a piece of the truth, but nobody has the whole truth. And Leslie Newbegin finally heard this a million times, and he finally said, wait a minute, the only way you could know that every blind man has a piece of the elephant is if you saw the whole elephant. The elephant, yeah. (laughs) Right? Like, you're the one with the vantage point of seeing all the truth. Right. Someone has the objective truth position. Correct. Yeah. And so the people who say, well, all religions equal the same path to heaven and all have truth. Again, that's a claim to exclusive truth because the only way you would know that is if you saw the whole truth. Yeah. So I think it's important to distinguish saying you don't know what What's true, like you don't know which religion is true, mm-hmm. is not the same thing as saying we can't know. If you say you can't know, you're saying that from a superior vantage point. Yeah. You're saying that as if you know all the truth, right? And that's really what, over the last, I would say, 30 or 40 years, that's the, that's the new atheism. Mm-hmm. The old atheism was, well, we don't know, so who cares? And if you're in that place, like, that's whatever. That's, you know, we've all been in places where we don't know what we believe, and we need to ask those questions. But there's a difference between that and the new atheism, which is, no, 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 we can't know. Therefore, don't bring your beliefs in here upon me. Don't force your truth on me. Well, it's like, well, you just did <laughs> to me. <laughs> you just said your spiritual uh, view of reality is superior to mine, right. whether you realize it or not. At the end of the day, that's, I think, a really important thing for Christians to know. Everybody has exclusive truth. <laughs> We're right. not the only ones with exclusive truth. The question should be, which exclusive truth claims create the most loving, forgiving, and gracious people? I would say Christianity does because the central claim of Christianity is we're all sinners who need a savior by grace. And I'm not saved by performing the truth like what other religions say because you're saved by your works. In Christianity, you're saved because you couldn't perform the truth and Jesus came and performed the truth for you, Mm -hmm. right? So to me, that can't make me think I'm superior to anybody. How do I think I'm better than people when I'm I'm a sinner who needed a savior? (laughs) Right. So to me, the exclusive truth claims that have that will create the most loving people is Christianity. Mm. So that's, I think, important to know. Everybody has exclusive truth claims and everybody has a religious view in the sense that they think their view is better, even atheists, and they think that they can be a good person on their own. And Christianity is the only religion that says no salvation is by grace in Christ. So that should create the most loving and forgiving people, I think. Yeah. But. No, I agree. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into the practical instructions um, on something that you can kind of work at at home. What are some practical ways we can deepen our faith and commitment to the Lord on a daily basis? Yeah, I, this is really important. So I, I would say I like to say there's really four pillars of the Christian life. Number one, it's um, exegesis of the word. Um, and what I mean by exegesis is getting getting the understanding and the intended meaning of the text. Um, so diving into scripture, understanding what it means. Uh, secondly would be, which is, this is so important too, prayer and meditation in the word. Mm. There's a difference between superficial reading of scripture and treasuring scripture mm. and really 
deep, uh, like the, the, the passages that you think you know, spending time praying those passages to God. Yeah. Like that's what I mean when I say meditation. I don't mean meditation like sitting under a tree humming or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm talking about meditating and thinking deeply about what the word you just studied, uh, the exegesis of the word, what the passage means for your life. Three, community of known disciples. So this is why we go to church on Sundays. This is why we gather together uh, to do all the one another's in scripture, the encouraging, the building up, the edification of each other. And, and we have to do that in community. Lastly, discipleship, whether that is being discipled by somebody who's further along than you or actually you making disciples like that is ultimately our mission as disciples of Jesus is Matthew 4:19 to follow him to be formed by him and to fish for him right like that's the definition of a disciple yeah and so if Jesus said if you he said in John 14:15 if you love me you will obey me mm. if you love me he didn't say if you obey me you'll love me he said if you love me you'll obey my commandments and so a huge part of our walk with christ is obeying him yeah. <laughs> right and seeking to be on mission for him and part of enjoying him more is we want to deepen our relationship with him by doing what he said and remind and of course all of this is in the context of reminding ourselves of the gospel daily of what he's already done for us on the cross and so that's what fuels the mission but those four things i think are so critical of spending time in the word exegesis of the word praying and meditating the word and then community with other disciples who are pursuing christ too and then our discipleship whether it's being discipled by somebody further along or making disciples ourselves yeah yeah how would you say we can deal with doubts and struggles in our faith journey while still trying to be faithful to the Lord. I mean, all those four pillars are really the answer. It's so funny how like we always are wanting, and this is just our culture, I think, like we're so wanting the new thing, you mm -hmm. know, all the time. And uh, I think sometimes that leaks over into our faith, which is like we want something new. And at the end of the day, like it comes back to communion with God, you know, doing the, the simple things every day that are really hard, um, but praying to him, spending time with him in his word, and then spending time in community with other disciples. And so the best part about the church, one of the gifts of the church is Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12, this image of that the church is the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's where we get membership from. That's where we get that term from. And he says that the eye cannot say to the ear, you have no need of me. Yeah. Meaning like, if you're talking about a physical body, like my eye is not the ear, like they're separate. <laughs> yeah. They have different functions, right? And in the same way, in the body of Christ, everybody has different gifts and we need each other. So I don't have all the spiritual gifts. You don't have all the spiritual gifts. And so one of the beauties of, get, of gathering together on Sundays with other believers or just gathering together throughout the week in people you do life with is to be able to do those one another's in scripture. And oftentimes I found in my biggest doubts and struggles and questions, and sin struggles and whatever, that deep community um, that is within the church is what has gotten me through those things, is being able to hear their experiences and hear how they navigated those challenges or just, pe just people who have been faithful throughout church history that we can learn from. Um, honestly, the questions that I've always had, those have been the most helpful resources of reading the Puritans, reading the early church fathers, like reading people. It's like there were Christians before our age, you know, yeah. and they were really faithful to the to the Bible. And so 
Um, so yeah, God has given so many resources for us to have answers to those questions. What a crazy thought to read other things than just the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, our required crazy. reading, reading past that. <laughs> right, for sure. Well, we're going to move on to our listeners Q&A. So we're going to actually have an Ask a Pastor. And if you have a question that you want to ask for the next episode, leave a message to 901-763-4640 or write your question to us on our Facebook page. First question is, how do I respond to someone who says, I'm spiritual, but not religious? I, I'm not trying to be mean, but my experience when people ask those questions is they want the benefits of salvation, mm. but they don't want Jesus to be their Lord, right? Really what that's saying is, I want to be my own Lord, right? I want to do what I want. Yeah. And so really, you have to ask the question, and I, I don't think people think this way, like consciously. I think it's just like they genuinely, they want to connect to something spiritually, but they don't like organized religion. And that's really probably the, either they've had church hurt or um, they just don't trust Christians or whatever. They don't, they're, they're very distrusting of other people. And so those are real questions. But I think at the end of the day, it goes back to Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. And so at the end of the day, Jesus founded the church, not me. <laughs> Paul didn't found the church. Peter didn't found the church. As, you know, I know it's debated, but like <laughs> Jesus founded the church, right? Yeah. It was his idea. And so um, at the end of the day, yes. Is the church messed up? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is the church full of sinners? Yes. But that's why we need Jesus, because he is our only hope. There's a lot of probably emotional and intellectual reasons behind those questions. But I would say the intellectual is more so they, they're probably scared of organized religion. It, really, the easiest thing always is to ask more questions. So mm-hmm. is there something that has happened in your past, whether it was a church experience or a family experience or whatever that maybe is causing you to be distrusting of the church or just Christians you knew growing up who were really hypocritical. So asking questions like that and then again, taking them back to the Bible and saying, well, look, Jesus chose apostles to speak on behalf of him. And that's what the New Testament is. They are writing the words that he said. They are speaking authoritatively on on what he wanted them to say for the church. And that's the foundation of the church. He built the church on the foundation of the apostles. Um, That's Ephesians 2.20. And so if he founded this, then yeah, yeah, it's going to it's going to be hard, but we still have to, you know, do what he says if we're going to follow him. Yeah. And I think, you know, also really for Christians, for me included, it's a good reminder that, yes, it's great to have these different types of tools, obviously study the word and also talk to God, especially when you're going to be talking to other people. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the best thing that you really can do, kind of what Ryan is saying, is just being that safe place for them to have those conversations. Yes, That's, you know, the minimum of right. what we need to do. And, you know, it's, it's sad, but that is pretty uncommon sometimes when you yes. speak with church people. It's yeah. it's really hard to break into this area. And if you're already skeptical, you know, we're kind of their first interaction oftentimes. So if you can be that loving, safe place for them to have those conversations, you really can reach people. Right. And, you know, it's also allowing a space to let God speak through you because mm-hmm. it's not about you. That's right. You know, so. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, that relationship is key for sure. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate it. How can people get in contact with you? Uh, yeah, email is probably the best. So my email is ryan, R-Y-A-N, at missionchurchmemphis.com. 
Perfect. Well, Pastor Ryan Abone, thank you so much for being here and being faithful and allowing Christ to work through you. Thank you so much for stopping by at Bot Radio Network. Yeah, thank you, Kerrigan. I appreciate the conversation. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Kerrigan Santos, and we'll talk to you next time.